It's Time's Yours. I am Spike along with Pat Gallen. Hey, sir. How are you, buddy? Ready to talk for uh, two hours about how they should fire Andy Reid? Let's go. I don't know if I have that in me. <laughs> oh, man. It has the, the tone in Philadelphia, just in sports talk in general. There is so little to talk about with, I mean, Philadelphia in general has a tendency to leap to the, the negative side of things pretty easily. Like, they'll take any, I feel like any avenue and any excuse to take a negative spin on something. But when generally everything's negative and that's the only thing to talk about, it turns into. I mean, it is. If you were to turn on, if you hadn't lived in Philadelphia and you were to turn on sports radio or read blogs right now, it's basically all just Penn State and Eagles. I mean, and and how bad the Eagles are. It's. I feel like this is a low point in the last few years. I feel like this is as low as it's gotten around here. Pretty much. I mean, it, well, how can you spin anything positively anymore? Now, all that's left that's positive is the Phillies, and even then, I mean. Lately, with the Phillies, you know, there's all this Cole Hamels free agency trade talk and all that. I guess, I guess you need negativity to to sell papers and to to get eyes to read your stuff. It's a shame. Yeah, I mean, really, because even the the Papelbon thing, which, um, you know, whether it was too much money or not, I, I guess there's there's a million different uh, deeper discussions to have. Right. But by and large. Like the overview, you know, the the take a giant step back look is they signed a really good pitcher, but I, it was almost like the the general reaction to that even was was negative to them signing. I mean, Papelbon over the last ten years, aside from um, uh, Rivera, has pretty much been. I mean, the best clo- the second best closer in baseball, yeah. would you say? Most consistent, yeah. I guess? Yeah, pretty much. I think it, it comes down to, first of all, his personality. People see him as very brash and kind of crazy on the mound, almost like a lunatic when he, when he pitches, which, you know, some people are into that. That's fine. Um, maybe some baseball purists aren't. But, yeah, he's a little bit different when he's out on the mound. And then I guess he comes from the, the hated Red Sox, which for an American League team, they're pretty hated around here from everything I've, I've read and everything I know of, of, of Phillies fans around here. So maybe that plays into it as well. And I guess, you know, they're thinking, well, $50 million on the surface is a lot of money. And I think that and the years kind of sticks out. And I know you, you can compare it to, to the Brad Lidge contract of a couple of years ago where he signed for three years, and I think it was 30, $36 million or something, something around that, that number. So the numbers were actually pretty close as far as yearly salary goes between Lidge and Papelbon, but I guess the four years, 50 sticks out, plus there's an option that could make it $63 million. Uh, I guess it's a lot of money, and, and maybe people just assumed that they were going to bring Ryan Madsen back. I mean, you've had this guy in the in the fold for a decade almost, and he pitched really well last year, Madsen, uh, Madsen that is. Um, he showed that he could be a closer. I, I guess they figured, hey, if... if Boris, if his agent Scott Boris wants to play hardball and he wants to try and jack the price up, and and they're going to pay forty four million for Madsen or fifty million for Papelbon, who has arguably been the best closer besides Rivera, I guess the Phillies thought, hey, let's let's spend the extra six million, let's uh, let's put that option on there and go for the best closer. Um, do I necessarily love the deal? No, I don't love it. I think it's silly to spend that kind of money on a guy that only pitches maybe 60 or 70 innings a year. It's not my money, though. But, yeah, overall, it has been pretty negative, a lot more negative than I thought it would be. 
Yeah, and 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 a guy like Papelbon, it's funny, and it'll be it'll be interesting to see mid season what people think of him because a guy like him that's as as brash and you know and showy as a guy like a guy like that is the kind of guy that you hate when he's on a different team, but when he's on your team, like I look at Brian Wilson sometimes and how much people around here hate Brian Wilson. Brian Wilson was on the Phillies; he would be the most popular player on the team, but by far there would you would see as many fake beards in the crowd as you would see anything. I don't know. At this point, I feel like everyone would still hate him here in Philly. Really? You think so? Maybe. I think his his stick is up. Oh, I don't know, man. Well, if but Matt, I just think I think a guy like Papelbon, as long as he produces, will be. I think guys like that that have that extra thing, like almost like Terrell Owens had. Yeah. Terrell Owens when he was here was a megastar. I mean, he he was, I think, inarguably the the most popular guy on the team. Um, at least his fans were concerned. I, it's just. Um, you know, I, I just I think we've gotten to the point as Phillies fans where we we take everything for granted a little bit, and that the Phillies went out and signed. I just can't get over the fact that the Phillies went out and signed um, the best closer on the market and overpaid for him, and that's what our complaint is that they spend too much money on a blue chip free agent. It's just it's it's like a it's like this bizarro Phillies world where everything has changed so much in the last 10 years where the thing that we're complaining about is that they're overspending on guys. It's a it's a really interesting uh, position for fans to be in, I think. Yeah, it, it is very odd. I mean, if you go back even um I mean, even a couple of years ago, this is something that's been brought up, I guess, in the past couple of days here with all this Cole Hamels talk about, you know, can the Phillies afford to keep him? Would it make sense for them to trade him? Um, You go back just two years ago, the Phillies thought that they needed to trade Cliff Lee to keep Roy Halladay. Right. And I mean, that was just two years ago because they weren't sure if they'd be able to keep both and keep their salaries and, and would it make sense to trade Lee and bring younger players back because those young players might need to uh, become starters in the near future. So, I mean, that was only a few years ago and, and things have changed even rapidly since then that, you know, uh, as far as Hamels goes, they're going to have to keep him around or people are going to revolt and... Can they afford it? Well, you better be able to afford it because you just afforded the the highest paid closer in baseball, and you know you didn't necessarily have to do that. But you know, I look at it as you have to keep a guy like Cole Hamels. So yeah, money is no longer an object, and fans, the negativity I, I understand from the Eagles' perspective. But I, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of the of the Papelbon signing, but I'm not going to be o- overly negative about it either. Yeah, I don't think it. Add, there's a confusion. I think um, a lot of times in in any discussion now, there are only shades of gray are missing. It's black or white. Mm-hmm. And I think the problem with the discussion of the Papelbon signing is it leaps right from it was too much money to that he is a positive addition to the baseball team. Yes. Re- regardless, when you take away money for a second, when you take away money, adding Jonathan Papelbon to the baseball team is not a to the team is not a negative thing. Now, its its effect on other decisions may or may not be, but I think too often to say too often one one point doesn't necessarily mean the other. So for you to say you don't love the Papelbon signing or the contract, well that that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. But I think too often people set people leap, make that leap from it's too much money to, you know, 
this guy isn't that good. Well, he's he's very very good. That's I th- and I think that's the the problem um, in combining all of these discussions into one. I think the the thing most missing from deciding whether the Papelbon deal was a good idea or not is the perspective of the rest of the offseason. Mm-hmm. If it does, in fact, prevent them from addressing other needs or from or from trading or or from keeping Cole Hamels. Um, if that becomes the reason that they are unable to keep Cole Hamels, or if that becomes the reason that they are unable to upgrade, um, you know, either stay the same at shortstop or upgrade to upgrade at third base or to upgrade left field, then then the Papel, then the money becomes an issue. But if their ceiling is not the 175 that we're all looking at, if their ceiling is 10 million dollars more, and they're still able to add, you know. It to you know ten to fifteen million dollar players. Mm-hmm. Well, then to me, then the money becomes less of an issue. There's no salary cap, so they can spend whatever they want. The Yankees have been spending money to make up for spending money, you know, for for twenty years now. Like that, that's never stopped them before. So if the Phillies put themselves in position to address all of their needs, then to me, the money becomes less of an ordeal. You know what I mean? Like the Brad Lidge deal was a bad deal. It was a bad contract, but I don't think it ever prevented them from making any move that they ever wanted, that they wanted to make in the last three years. So if it doesn't prevent them from making other moves, I'm then I'm fine with it, I guess. Yeah. But I mean, you've got to look at the whole scope of things that you have guys like Lee and, and holiday making $20 million per season. You gave Ryan Howard, you know, $25 million per year in an extension that you really didn't have to do two years before he was he was due to become a free agent so all these factors are now playing into it and i think you know i think it's actually a good thing that fans are now paying more attention to the the minute details of everything that goes on because you know when when i was younger i guess i didn't really pay attention to it it was just hey let's get this guy let's get that guy but now that there is so much more money involved and that the phillies are players every year in in big name free agents i like the fact that that people are People do sit down and try and figure out the payroll, and people do sit down and, and think about, well, you know, you signed Papelbon this year. What's it mean for three years down the road? I feel like no one really did that in the past, so I give kudos to, to everyone out there that does that. And I guess, you know, with the invention of blogging and all that and, and the 24-hour news cycle, it, it becomes that way nowadays. But, um, yeah, that being said, people should be upset that if you sign Papelbon to that sort of contract, is it going to affect bringing back J-Roll, or is it going to affect Cole Hamels down the road? Um, people have a have you know every right to be upset if, if that's the case. So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't exactly know what Papelbon is going to bring to the table that's, that's so far ahead of Ryan Madsen. I understand that if the two contracts were that close, that you'd probably go with the better guy. But then again, you look around baseball, and you see new guys popping up all the time that are closers that weren't previously. Craig Kimbrell was the rookie of the year with the Braves. He saved 40-some games. He was a rookie. I mean, he's he, he had no track record at all, and he did just fine. And guys like John Axford from Milwaukee, I mean, guys like this pop up all the time. That's where it comes into play with, you know, we see guys on, on Twitter all the time talking about, well, you didn't need to do this. Yeah, that's that's one of the arguments that, hey, you didn't need to sign Jonathan Papelbon to that sort of contract because you can always find a guy that can throw three outs in the ninth inning. Well, then the, the discussion changes from, then it's not Papelbon or Madsen. Then it's because those two guys, by a, the, the $6 million difference over four years is insignificant. That then you're not talking about Papelbon versus Madsen. Then you're talking about 
spending a lot of money on, on a closer versus not spending a lot of money on a closer. And clearly, the Phillies have decided that they will spend big money on a closer. They even went 40 years, which, I mean, going 40 years on a pitcher, uh, especially a closer, is unheard of in Phillies land. You know, if you follow the Phillies for a long time, that was the, the one thing. I think, I think it'll be interesting to look back in five years and see whether Ruben Amaro knew what he was doing. Because I don't, it's, it's almost impossible to know right now. You know, he's pulled off a few good trades and he's, you know, he's been able to, to act like a, a high roller and, and make big deals. And, but the, the trick is, is to keep that going. The trick is, is not to do that in a span of five years, uh, but it's to do it in a span of 10 years and 15 years when, when you start losing productive players. And the Phillies haven't, are only now at the point where they will start to lose that core and they'll have to start to you know change that core from losing worth last year to potentially losing Rollins to you know to guys whether they whether they age out or whether they move on because of a big deal somewhere else now that you know the next 5 years are the real test for Amaro and we'll be able to see whether deals like the the Howard deal or the the Papelbon deal um are hinder them in being competitive in the future. Yeah. Um, I think it just I think when you talk about fans and them discussing it, um, there is this, it just as long as, as we once the season starts, we have fun then it's cool. It's just like I, I just, you know sitting in the stands, I just want to cheer. I don't want to see the, you know, I don't want to be talking about Papelbon's four year deal while he's, while he's getting a close while he's getting a save. I just, you know, there, there, there are those two things that since the fans on, on some level now are the media because, because, because of social media, it just, I guess it blurs the line between fun and analysis sometimes. And I, I guess that's my, my, my concern is that, is that signing a, signing a big free agent should be at least fun on some level. Uh, and it did, the, the Papelbon thing didn't feel like any fun to me. No, you're right. It, it felt more like business than, than fun. And we mentioned Amaro, and you made some good points that, that the next two or three years are really big for him, and even, I guess, less than that, maybe a year or two, because it's easy to make big moves like he has in the past few seasons because the payroll skyrocketed. I mean, the payroll for this team was under $100 million when they won in 2008. So it's easy to make to, to throw money at things when, uh, you know, when the front office says, here's $25 million more each season to work with, which is pretty much what they did. I think uh, from 2008 to 2009, their payroll went up like 15 or $16 million. And then from 2009 to 10. It went up twenty-five million, and then from ten to eleven, I think it went up like thirty million. So yeah, it's easy when you keep having the checkbook, you know, in front of you with an unlimited number of funds. Now it's different, though. Now you're pretty much to the point where not that you're maxed out, but every year is going to be more of a challenge because you have so many high-priced players already on the team. How do you fit? other players in but keep that competitiveness throughout that the fans want and that the fans pay for so this is really where it starts to get a little bit sticky for for Ruben Amaro and he's gonna have to be a real you know a big time GM here if, if he wants to keep this team competitive for the next couple of years yeah and I think the I you know the, the Hamels thing is hard to it's hard to get a handle on unless you know what you're getting in return for Cole Hamels I mean I don't think 
I don't think a baseball team should ever have anybody that's untouchable on their roster. I don't, I don't think it's like um, football or basketball where if you take away one player, like, honestly, if they didn't have Cole Hamels on the team next year, if just, just for instance, and I'm not saying you make this deal, but just for instance, if you trade Cole Hamels for David Wright, let's just, you know, out of, as a hypothetical, I still think the Phillies can win the division next year. Um, I, I don't think I don't think that's a you know an immediate question. I think oh, yeah, sure. the um, whether so, so I think you have to just um, I so I don't think or even if Cole Hamels got hurt and never pitched one inning next year, let's say that I still think the the Phillies win the division. So um, so I don't think there should be anybody that's untouchable. And just because the Phillies are listening to offers on Hamels, I don't that doesn't. That doesn't seem crazy to me. I just think if you make that trade, um, it's got to be enormous. You know, it's you, you have to, you just have to get a haul and back um, back for him. And you don't want it. The reason for that trade to be because you spent so much money in bad places because you made bad investments. Yeah. You have to go and you can't afford Cole Hamels. I think that's that's the point of the Hamels thing to me at least. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. If they if they do that, they better get back the greatest package they've ever gotten. Yeah. Um, so uh, as we started off saying, the a lot of the reason for the negativity in Philadelphia right now is um, the Eagles team right now um, is as bad as it's been since uh, that what it was oh five or oh six. I mean um, when McNabb got hurt, and you know this is a or the To season where, when To blew up. Um, this is just, and this is probably as bad as it's been. Um, the worst that has been during the Andy Reid era. Uh, it's even gone so far as to say um, legitimately, and if my dad's reporting that Andy Reid is probably going to hang it up at the end of the season, like when it gets to the guys that really love Andy Reid, when they start saying it, then it becomes you know real. I mean, I think it's now a real thing where at the end of this season, it might not be any more Andy Reid, um, which is... You know, at one point during the Reed thing, I just I didn't think he would ever not be here. I mean, to imagine a a world without because without Reed, right? There's no Morningweg either, probably, and there's no Castillo, and this whole thing changes next year, and it's hard to even conceive yeah. for me there's still, to even think about. There's still part of me that thinks he's coming back, though. That if it was, it, and it's bad, but. You don't really ever get the sense that Jeff Lurie wants him out or Joe Banner wants him out. I feel like those three are kind of like a three-headed team, and then you kind of throw Howie Roseman in there. I just feel like he'll still he'll he won't want to go out in this in this fashion. He'll he'll say to the to the uh, you know to Banner and to Lurie to the to the brass that hey look, you know we got all these new guys in, and I'm I'm not making an excuse for him. I'm just saying that this could be what he says that. Um, you know, we bring in all these new guys. We bring in Asamoah and DRC, and um, we bring Vic in, and he struggled. Give me another shot. I can make this work. I've done it in the past. When things have gone wrong, the next season, we've been good. You know, I've, I've kept this team afloat for most of the, of the 13, 14 years I've been here. Give me another chance. I feel like if, if the, the Eagles finish 6-10 and 10 this year, he won't want that to be the lasting image of his legacy here in Philadelphia because, by and large, it's been very good. They haven't won the big game. They've struggled at times uh, when, when the chips are down. That being said, though, what coach would ever want to leave on those terms on his own? He would want to say, look, I've done this before. Give me that second chance. So I still have a hard time believing that, that he would leave the, the way this is. I mean, he built this team, and I 
I still feel like he can kind of put it together. He's just got to find some, maybe some better coaches and maybe a better scheme here and there. Because let's face it, I mean they're they're a couple of quarters away from this team maybe being eight and one, seven and uh, seven and two. I mean it's it's not that far fetched to believe that this is really a playoff team. That they've had some shortcomings in some big situations, but. I don't think they're that far off talent-wise, really. And I think that if he does stay, he can change things around. I, I agree and I disagree. I agree in that I don't think at any point Jeff Lurie and Joe Banner tell Andy Reid. Um, I don't think they ever call him into the office and tell him he's fired. I think where I disagree is I always thought that Andy Reid, the one thing that I, I don't think any, anyone gives credit to Reid for, and people by and large give him credit for keeping a team competitive for as long as he has and, and say that that's difficult, you know, that with the one criticism being that he hasn't, uh, he hasn't won the Super Bowl. I think where he's not probably not given enough credit in that, I believe that he works really, really, really hard to win. That all he really wants to do at the end of this, regardless of his stubbornness or throwing the ball or all, all the minutiae we talk about, I believe that he really, 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 really wants to win. And I believe that I always thought that he would leave, that he would give it up when he looks at what he's done and just thinks, I just, I can't. I've done, you know, I've done this the wrong way. This, I can't do this anymore at this place. And I feel like he's never, even when they've been bad, um, I, I feel like he's never had a team be so thoroughly unprepared and unwilling to give everything that they have. And to me, this team looks not only bad, because Andy Reid teams have looked bad before, but this team looks consistently unprepared and unwilling to do what it takes to win. And I have to imagine that as a, you know, it's almost like when you finally, if you have a kid, if you have a child, a son who just keeps messing up, you know, and keeps ending up in rehab and this. And when you finally say, kick him out of the house and just say, I don't care if you're living on the street you can't be here anymore because basically because parents can't kick themselves out of the house. I I think Andy Reid, rather than get rid of all the players, which he can't do, will look at this uh, unless they, you know, there's some crazy turnaround and they go seven and oh or six and one and they really look like they've learned something or changed something. I feel like Andy will look at this team and just know that he he does not have the, the effect on the Philadelphia Eagles that he wants to have or that he can have anymore. And he would be better suited doing it somewhere different where he can construct it as he would want to construct it. Because really this team, though they signed a bunch of, you know, high priced free agents is not really the kind of team that Andy Reid has even constructed. Mm-hmm. You know, it was never his thing to go out and sign a bunch of those guys. It was maybe the one guy in the off season, but they went and got a bunch of them. And it, you know, if you remember the Andy Reid teams all the way up until TO, you know, no big wide receivers, no no big free agents. It was never about that. It was, you know, maybe just Javon Curse one year or it was TO one year. It was just it was not all of this. And this just doesn't look like him to me. And and that's why I think unless they turn it around big time, I just think he's got to look at this and say, I can't do this here anymore. Um, I know what you're saying. Uh, and 
it, it, it obviously all comes onto Reed's shoulders. I mean, he's the head coach. He's the guy that puts all these players into position, and he's he makes a lot of the football decisions as far as bringing guys in. So, yeah, as as far as that's concerned, I'm I'm kind of with you. But I just feel like we're there. There are one or two plays or one or two changes in each game from being a very different team and us talking about the team differently. I mean, it, there's been a lot of collapses late in games, but you think back to the Cardinals game. Uh, why is Jaquan Jarrett on Larry Fitzgerald? If he's not, if the guy they're paying all that money to, Namdi Asamoah, is on him, that changes the outcome of that game. And I'm sure you can go down the line with with things you can kind of pick out from each of those those five collapses that would say to you, hey, if you had done this a little bit differently that this this season as a whole might be might be completely different. So um, last year, the team looked, for, for the most part, pretty good. Michael Vick had a resurgence. They make it to the playoffs, and they fall short to the Packers, who won the Super Bowl. Very good team. You come back this year, you, you basically stack up at the positions where, um, you know, obviously they didn't, they didn't get a, a linebacker like everyone believes they needed to and I, I do too I believe they still you know they're still lacking there but you go out and you get the best free agent cornerback on the market you get a, a good tackle in Cullen Jenkins you get an end in Jason Babin that's uh, that helps Trent Cole on the other side I mean all these factors come into play I just feel like the talent level is still there and he is liked enough by the players that, yeah, it, it seems like they've kind of fallen apart, but I just think it comes down to the scheme. Maybe it is, uh, you know, him hiring Juan Castillo was was the straw that broke the camel's back this year. If they had had uh, someone with more of a history on defense, that things would have changed a little bit quicker. I just I feel like it comes down to the scheme and things kind of unraveling at the at the exact wrong time. But talent-wise, I still think that this is a 10-11 win team as far as talent goes. So does that say, yeah, uh, Andy Reid has, has reached his point where he can no longer uh, get through to these players, that his his stick is old, his, uh, his scheming is old. Maybe someone new needs to come in. But really... I, 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 sw- I swear you can make the argument that things could be so much different if one or two things in each game change. And I guess you can say that about a lot of different teams, but the talent level is obviously there. It's very high on this team. Yeah, but that's that in the NFL nowadays, that seems like the difference between good teams and bad teams is making those plays at those crucial times. And there's only so... If there weren't so many stupid, stupid, stupid... Um, or lackluster plays that 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 you could that you can pile on top of the bad luck and the you know and the this could have gone this way or this could have gone that way. I don't know. It just to me, it's just you've we've seen in football in the in this division in the NFC East with the Washington Redskins, who every year for it seemed like five or six years went and signed big free agents every year, and they were terrible every year. And you looked at the team and saw all these good players, but for some reason it never added up. I don't think the NFL. Uh, I was talking with Lee on uh, on the podcast on Monday. It's almost like if you have too many of these guys, who is the guy that is that can stand up in the locker room that these other guys are going to listen to? Mm-hmm. Because if you have too many like generals, if you have too many guys that are that think they are the the most important guy on the team, then everybody else isn't going to listen to them. So do do you really think that you know? Um, you know, Asante Samuel is going to listen to Namdi Asamoah if Asamoah is standing up there, or do you think that 
you know, Jason Babin or all these guys that got these giant contracts to it's human nature to after, after you get a huge contract like that to think higher of yourself. You know, I I'm that guy, and I think everybody on the team thinks they're that guy, and nobody actually is that guy. I, I, I feel like the construction of this team is, uh, though very, very talented, is obviously poor. And um, it is even more disconcerting to me to see that even on offense, that they make big plays and get lots of yards. But aside from the Cowboys game, at no time this year have we ever seen the offense be consistent you know they've never been where like where you just look at them and and you're like man they're a machine the same way that you look at the Packers offense or the Patriots offense teams that that gain the same number of yards as the Eagles but just consistently move down the field and score move down the field and score move down the field and score the Eagles aren't like that Um, and that's even with an offense that aside from the offensive line who has played well is generally exactly the same that it was last year you know at your skill positions there's no maybe the same quarterback same receivers same running backs all that kind of stuff and they've even looked poorer this year Um, it'll be interesting to see I think I think the way this season ends up in these last seven games is not 0-7, 0-7, and, and it is not 6-1 and one or 7-0. and oh. I think it's like 3-4 and four or something meaningless like that. There's some a, a kind of blah ending to the season. And uh, I think it'll be really interesting to see whether he leaves or not. And then, you know, with whoever they bring in, what they because then the question is, what do you do with this team? Like, what, what are they? Or do you believe in this team? Or do you, you know, just start deconstructing? Do you start cutting guys that you gave those big contracts to? Um, you know, I don't know. It'll be it'll be very interesting to see. I'm more interested to see the end of this season rather than the, how the the rest of this pitiful season yeah. goes. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned uh, th- these big the guys with the big contracts. I mean, uh, on defense, they've pretty much played fairly well. I mean, Babin's done pretty well. Um, Colin Jenkins has been, I would say, pretty good in the middle. And I just think it comes down to putting Asamoa in the right position. To make plays, and they really haven't done that. I mean, for years, his strong suit was playing man-to-man, and now they have him in a zone coverage, and that's just not his forte. That's not his thing. You play, you should play to the strengths of the players on your defense, um, and, and to me, they just haven't done that. If they could just figure that out, I think that things could be a little bit different. Um, that being said, you're right on offense. Things have just been been pretty porous throughout, but then you know you throw in the D-Jacks contract situation, and that comes into play. Vic's been banged up. So yeah, things haven't gone, you know, the way they have. I just, uh, again, I mean, I'll, I'll ask you this: it, is is the grass always greener on the other side? I mean, if if you get rid of Andy Reid, who do you go to? Where where do you find this next coach that's that's going to bring you to the promised land? I mean, for for years, Andy Reid has been a great coach. He just hasn't been able to get them over that hump. What you know, who out there? What what coach out there? Um, can can do that for you that you know can get you to the playoffs every year because when you get to the playoffs it's basically a crapshoot i mean packers beat the eagles by five points last year that could have easily uh, been a different outcome and and changed the the scope of the playoffs and i'm throwing a lot of ifs ands you know all that out there but it, it, it just the 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 fact of the matter is as a team you want to get to the playoffs that's first and foremost because um Anything can, we saw that with the St. Louis Cardinals in baseball. You get to the playoffs and anything can happen. Same holds true for football. So there aren't many coaches out there that can get their team to the playoffs in 10 out of 13 seasons. Um, you know, maybe, maybe he is losing that luster as a head coach, but he's still, I think he's still got a lot to give. 
Well, well, one quick thing that you said: uh, Michael Vick's going to be banged up every year. Yeah. So, so um, if you're worried about Michael Vick being banged up, I I can't imagine a season in which he's not going to be, you know, at least have nagging injuries all year long, right? I mean, that's just sure. the way he plays. So, um, and I, as the older he gets, the worse it's going to get. So that, that's something if they can't overcome this year, I don't know that they're ever going to uh, to be able to overcome. As for as far as Reed goes, I. I've always defended him, and I've always, um, I've always said that people are harder on him than they should be and don't appreciate what they've had. Um, and that said, whoever they get may be worse than Andy Reid, but who is it going to be is a, is a much larger question, I think, than is it Bill Cowher or is it John Gruden or is it somebody stupid like that? Because... When they hired Andy Reid, we didn't know who Andy Reid was. And we had no idea that this would be the, the way that it was. So I think at that point, regardless of who it is, I don't know who it is. And that's, that's the big fearful thing. You know, at, at any time when a Philadelphia team has even traded a superstar, it's always been worse afterwards. Yep. You know, whether it was Barkley or Iverson or, you know what I mean? Like, you get rid of those guys and all of a sudden, and I, I feel like it's that way with Reed. You know, you're going to have to go through this time where it's probably not going to be as good as it was. But I think, I think the sign here is that, is that, you might not that run he had of being able to get into the playoffs every week, every year. If you can't even get into the playoffs, then then what are you fighting for? You know, with with a team this talented, you know the the Forty ers are what eight and one. Yeah, and they're I mean they're not they can't be that good. <laughs> um, and and it's not even that. Let's give them credit and say that they're good. They surely have holes on the football field that they're able to cover up. If we can't cover up our linebacker hole, you know, like there's something wrong. You know, there's something, there's just a general thing that's really, really, really wrong. The Patriots have been able to cover up one of the worst defenses historically in all of NFL, in, in the, the history of the NFL. If the, if the Eagles can't cover up their, their few deficiencies on the field, there's just there's a systemic problem, and I, I, I don't even necessarily think that it's the right thing. I just think I'm okay with it, and I think it's the thing that he's going to do. If, if I had a guess, I would say it's the thing that he's going to do. Yeah, I mean, he's got, uh, he's got seven games here to, to try and turn it around and make people believe otherwise, so uh, I guess we'll see. He's, he's done well in the past when the chips were down. Um, well, the chips have been down well, for three weeks, Gallon. I should say when, when uh, you know, when, when he, when, when the team struggles like they did in the TO year, he always seems to bounce back. So um, there's always a chance of that. He's, he's. I, I still think he's a very talented head coach, and he's got some talented players. So big seven games here, no doubt. Um, the one thing that uh, that we've that we've left off is the. Uh, when the when the players turned down in the NBA, when the uh, NB, MBPA turned down the the owner's quote unquote final offer on Monday, um, and they dissolved the union, actually, I was so angry, and not just at them, just at everybody. You know, mad at the owners, mad at the players, mad at everybody. I'm not blaming. I'm not blaming any one side specifically, or or taking any one side specifically. I decided I was done dealing with it because it was making me more angry than it was 
interest mm-hmm. at a certain point the negotiations were interesting and what was going on with interesting now i think it's just annoying um you know they've all the, the it's very clear the owners took too hard a line position it's very clear the players decided to dissolve the union about two months too late um it's also clear that there's dissension amongst the players and amongst the owners um, and what's mostly clear is that both sides have done a tremendous disservice to both um, each other and the fans and the sport as a whole. So I, I kind of said I was. I even I emailed the Sixers and I told them I had I'm a season ticket holder, and they gave you three options when all this things when all these things started. And the option that I chose was to let the Sixers keep my money. They give me 10% on the money as long as I continue to spend it with the Sixers. Mm-hmm. And I actually emailed them and told them I wanted out of that. Um, and I want my money back as the games are canceled. Um, and that if need be, if I can't do that, I will cancel for the entire season and take my money back um, and lose my seats. Like That's how angry I was at all of it. Um, and we had, we had discussed over email uh, the potential of the players doing something that um you know Make doing right. something for for the fans yeah. i i put this out on twitter that you you could uh, it's it's not i don't think it's it'll ever happen but you could make the case that hey these players now that there is no union you could put together like an 8 or 10 team league and play like these superstar teams against each other in a in like a 10 or 12 game season that all the teams get into the playoffs. Um, you you know you raise money from advertising dollars. You split it between the players get a cut of it and charities get a cut of it. So at least there's no season, but at least you're trying to make right with the fans and with the people of the sport. Um, you know that hey, we're gonna try and do something here to change uh, the way you perceive us. Now is this a ridiculous idea? Probably. Um, it's fun to talk about, but. Uh, it'll probably never happen because there's so many levels to this, you know, that, that hey, if you, uh, what, what players can be involved? Uh, how many players on each team? What about the people that have lost money that don't have jobs now, like arena workers or, you know, people in the concessions, that sort of thing. So there's a lot of layers to it, but I thought it would be fun to, to come up with an idea that, hey, what about like an eight-team league, uh, you know, in, and you, you mentioned it in, in the email, in basketball hotbeds like Chicago, New York, L.A., uh, Oklahoma City, where you just have guys like Durant and Westbrook playing with Dwight Howard and and Derek Rose, like these monumental teams. Who wouldn't go out and watch something like that? Yeah, I, I think, and I think eight is perfect. And, and you had mentioned, a, you know, like a tournament style um, playoffs, which would be uh, which would be great. And I even think putting teams in. I had mentioned to you Seattle because they're so bitter about having lost the Sonics or um, even a a town like um, even somewhere in Northern California where you have Sacramento who is about to lose their team, especially if there's no season this year, and Golden State who continues to sell out games even with a bad team. Um, You know, these these places that are hungry for it, um, I think it would be amazing. Now, the, the hurdles, I mean, even just organizing something and doing it right it if you were if you saw any of the nonsense that happened with the battle for i-95 and that was just putting on one game um you know the hurdles are this isn't easy to organize or to you know publicize and it's going to cost money and that money's got to come from somewhere um whether it's 
you know, and the problem with asking for, you know, going to sponsors is these sponsors already have money tied up in NBA games that are not happening, you know, or players that are not playing and shoes that aren't selling. So who knows uh, if it's possible? I think the and the hurdles are are obvious. But I think the thing that it would do that you mentioned is this is now turned into a PR battle. And it's basically about making it look like the other side is the one preventing it from happening. And I think the great thing that it would do for the players is that it would make it look like they're most interested in playing basketball. Mm -hmm. That's what they're interested in doing. And that would put, I think, the onus back on the owners. Now, they had an opportunity to do that. They had an opportunity when they got that final offer to go back to the owners and do it in a press conference and say, we accept this deal in theory as long as you guys uh, agree to these two or three other stipulations. And then they could have put the pressure back on the owners, like the owners did the players. But I think playing basketball is something that um, is, even from the very beginning, you know, seeing highlights of these games would make people hungry again and, and make them recognize that the players are something other than... Um, you know, spoiled millionaires, which is basically the the notion they have of them now. I think it would be a smart thing. I don't think it would ever happen the right way, you know, the effective way. I think what we'll see is these haphazard, you'll see a combination of two things, more guys going overseas and these haphazard games that like Lou Williams is putting on in Atlanta right now or the one that happened in Philly. But I think the league would be an awesome thing. Um, You know, it just points to the fact that if the NBA had fewer teams and a shorter season, it would be more fun. I mean, I think that's what it gets to the heart of as well. Yeah, well, obviously, you go back to the 80s when there were 22, 24 teams. It was the heyday of the league. But, you know, yeah, you mentioned the uh, these exhibition crappers that they're putting out there. I mean, I guess they're kind of cool in that you can, you can see a bunch of stars all in one place. Um you know, but imagine if they were all wearing the same jersey from like Seattle. You know, they played for the the so-called Seattle Sonics, and you had eight players um, from all different teams, almost. And and you had a draft. Like say say ESPN picked this up, and they had a player draft, kind of like what they did with the All Star Game in the NHL. Where yeah. They picked guys. Uh, people would tune into that. People would eat that up. Um, and I know the logistics of it are pretty much impossible at this point. But you know, just thinking of it from from the standpoint of you know they need to do something to bring the fans back to make them want it. And you said, yeah, if you saw highlights of this stuff, it would make people pine for basketball once again. I don't think there's a better way than than to do something like this. Um, but yeah, you know, it'll it'll happen where we see more of these exhibitions pop up, and um, some players play, some players don't. I don't know. I, I thought it would kind of be a cool idea, but obviously, it's it's pretty tough to to put together. Dude, the draft would be awesome. How cool would that be? The draft was... I was almost interested in watching the hockey thing, even though I don't know who 90% of the players are, just because it would... Like, if you take... If you just put one superstar captain on eight of these teams, you know, one team has LeBron, one has Wade, one has Kobe, one has Dwight Howard, one has Durant, and then you just go through and have to, you know, draft pick like you did in gym class. Oh, it would be amazing, especially if they're all there and you could see their faces as they get picked. It would be great. That would be awesome. But what about the guys that are left off, too? How pissed would you be? (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> that would be hilarious too. But that'd be great. Yeah, that'd be great. Like, uh, dude, it would be YouTube gold. You see Jamal Crawford just sitting there by himself in, <laughs> in the seats like, why, why haven't I been picked? Ah, uh, that would be awesome. I'd love it. I'd watch that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we're not going to get any of it. All we'll get is more, um, you know, I'm not, I'm the, I'm over them. I'm over all of them. It's a, uh, it's a disgrace. I was talking to, uh, I did an interview with Chuck Klosterman yesterday and we were talking about the NBA and he said the, the obvious phenomenal miscalculation that they've all made and you can see it in all of their faces is that they have no idea how, and this isn't to say that the NBA doesn't have fans and wasn't popular last year and was. I, it was one of the most popular years ever, and I'm certainly a big fan. But the NBA players and the owners have severely miscalculated how much people will actually miss basketball. Yeah. And I think it's, it's any sport that has this many games, any sport besides football. Football is a ritual, but no other sport is a ritual like football is. And, you know, like when, when teams are playing weekday games at 7 o'clock at night, you know, you can find something else to do at 7 o'clock at night on a random Tuesday. And they've made a, a significant miscalculation in how, how much people are going to miss this sport. Yeah, well, I know that, you know, you're, you're obviously a huge basketball fan. Um, I obviously grew up on the game, but I could tell how pissed off you were by the email that we sent back and forth where it says, uh, where we talked about like the rundown of the, of the podcast and under NBA it says F everyone. Yeah. <laughs> the word, the F word is spelled out, but that basically just sums it up for you. Yeah. Oh, if I, and if I can be ready to cast it off, anybody can. And I'll tell you what, like I'll miss watching games and I'll miss basketball in general, but mostly what I'll just miss is, is something to you know, talk about. I mean, it was just, it was an interesting point of discussion every day for me. As far as that time, you know, even me who went to almost every home game last year, I can find something else to do at that time and that money. That's, that's not my problem. Um, it's just that there's less to talk about. That's what yeah. bothers me. Yeah, I hear you. Um, well, that'll wrap it up for us. Uh, you can uh, you can find Pat on Twitter, Pat Gallon, uh, Pat Gallon underscore PN uh, on Twitter, on Phillies Nation, on ninety seven point three ESPN in South Jersey. Anywhere else? Uh, Philly Sports Daily occasionally. Philly Sports, right? Philly Sports. Daily. You are you are a a media mogul. You are a Philly sports media mogul. You're everywhere. Um, I'm just you know I'm, I'm trying to make it in this crazy world. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right. Thanks, man. All right, Spike. That'll do it for uh, Times Yours. More from me at SpikeEskin.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>